brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mindset Mentor on Saga 960. I hope you're having an absolutely phenomenal day. Well, today we are going to talk about the art of emotional connection. And, it, you know, it's so important that we connect with our emotions. Um, you know, when we suppress our emotions, it really is going to dramatically change the quality of your life. So we're going to learn a lot about that in this hour with my guest today. And I think that, you know, it's really important that we all learn from each other. And you know that my goal here um, at the Mindset Mentor is to bring on guests who have an incredible story, who can inspire, that we can learn from, that can help educate us to, to be better, to learn something so that we can, you know, really live our best lives. So, uh, you know, again, we are cultivating a life you love because you absolutely deserve it. So today, my special guest is Mike Cameron. Oh my goodness, what an incredible, remarkable story. All right, so, so Mike is a, a wealth of knowledge, of course, in terms of help, helping people um, you know, reconnect with their emotions. You know, but for him, it was a traumatic experience that really jump-started that journey. He is an author, he is a speaker, he is a writer. He has incredible programs to really help people you know, come back to their authentic self, get out of their own way and really start to be able to express who they are. And, and that does involve reconnecting with your emotions. He is the author of Becoming a Better Man. And, you know, he his story, uh, boy, it really resonates um, with people, not that in the sense that they would have had this experience, but in the sense that they can absolutely learn from it and his resilience. His girlfriend was murdered uh, by an ex several years ago. And through that journey, he has certainly learned to process his own emotions and is now helping other people do the same. So let's say hello and welcome to my special guest, Mike Cameron. Mike, it is an absolute pleasure having you here. And I thank you for being here with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it is, as you said, I mean, it is such an important conversation to have for a variety of different reasons. 
Yeah, you know, it's a conversation I think that is long overdue because there has been, of course, throughout society that whole belief that, in particular men, right, that, oh, you know, men should never cry. They can't show their weakness. And, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes you would, would hear things like, stop acting like a girl, you know, only girls cry. And I don't know where that came from. That's ridiculous because, you know, Mike, obviously we're all human. We all have a range of emotions. So, you know, where do you think that even came from? And, and like, and, and can we really create effective change to undo that, that stigma? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we can. I mean, I think we're seeing the needle being moved as you said, like traditionally it's been this man up culture. And you know, I, I wrote a piece probably eight years ago. I was out having a beer with a, a woman friend of mine and we were, we were just chatting about some of this kind of stuff. And we, t we were talking about how unfortunate the phrase man up is. And I said, you know, we really should start using the phrase woman up. Like, why don't you woman up? And I, I think, again, that was eight years ago, and when we look at it today and we look at world leaders in particular, I mean, some of the most successful, talented, and powerful world leaders are women right now. Um, so it's just, again, I, I think there's absolutely been this long-held belief of what a man is supposed to be, and that includes burying, suppressing, or avoiding any kind of emotion. and. You know, there's just so many perils that come with doing that. Yeah, and, and certainly, um, you know, it's, it's learned behavior, right? And if it's learned behavior, the good news is, is that we can unlearn uh, yes. those patterns and sort of undo some of that, that, that negative belief because it is very detrimental for anyone, no matter, you know, what sex you are, no matter what age you are, it's, it's not good to, um, you know, hold in all those emotions. So I want to talk to you about, you know, obviously you experienced a very traumatic event um, in your life and, and, I want to talk about how um, you were able to process your emotions. And also, you know, I, I think it'd be really interesting for you to share with us all, you know, what was it like for you before? Were you able to express your emotion? And did you grow up in, a, in an environment where it was okay to, to be vulnerable and to cry? Or did you have to man up, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate in that I was brought up in a household where that kind of pressure was never put on me. But it's interesting when I look back now and I, you know, as a speaker, you, you kind of put together your bio and your, your backstory. And it's interesting when I look at my story. I mean, I literally started my career bagging crap. Like I worked in a garden supply wholesale company bagging steer manure for a living when I was 18 years old. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I literally bagged crap for a living. Um, and eventually, you know, I worked my way up through the warehouse. Eventually, you know, I was there for almost eight years. At the end, I had worked my way up into the sales department of the Garden Supply Wholesale Company. And what I learned there it was kind of my first education in this realm. And what I learned was my customers, nobody buys a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of crap. We buy a bag of steer manure because we ultimately want, you know, to fertilize that garden. We ultimately want the feeling that we get of growing that beautiful rose bush or growing that beautiful vegetable garden. So, you know, it started to twig with me that, wait a minute, 
my customers don't actually buy the product. They're buying the feeling they believe that product will give them. And as a young guy, you know, that was in my early 20s, I'm always, I've always been a guy that likes to understand the, the why behind the what. And so I started to dive into this and, and I, the more I researched and the more I learned that, you know, as human beings, we buy on emotion and we justify it with logic. Eventually I changed careers. So I got into finance. I'd kind of gone as far as I could go in the garden supply realm. I got into finance and again, dove into that more and did exceptionally well in that arena. And, you know, at 26 years old, I was making a, a really good living. And uh, that was when I had kind of my next lesson in this we buy on emotion bit. And that was I, I lived in downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, mm -hmm. and I walked into a Porsche dealership. You know, I was I was feeling like a pretty big deal, a bit, bit of a badass. I was 26 years old, making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I thought, you know what I need? I need a Porsche. There you go. So I walked into the dealership and that's where I met, I'll never forget the salesman, his name was Bill. Mm -hmm. And he sat me into the, he took me in the showroom and sat me in this Porsche convertible with the top down. And he started stroking the leather. And he said, oh, just imagine driving this up the Sea to Sky Highway with, if, if your listeners don't know, it's, a, it's about a two hour drive up to Whistler and it's kind of a windy road that uh, along the coastline, it's just a gorgeous drive. And so he's describing, imagine the top down and the wind through your hair, imagine that feeling. And I was just like, you know, long story short, I, I bought the Porsche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You bought the vision, right? Yeah. Mm. But I can tell you, like there is nothing logical about buying a Porsche at 26 years old. Mm. It was completely an emotional decision. Mm. And so then, you know, I started researching the likes of Dan Goleman, Dr. Travis Bradbury, uh, Brene Brown, Dr. Antonio Damasio. And Damasio wrote a book called Descartes' Error. And uh, Rene Descartes is a French philosopher who talks about, you know, he posited that I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. Well, Damasio essentially says, I feel, therefore I am. And his research supported this, that not only do we buy based on emotion, but as human beings, we make decisions based upon emotion. He talks about emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. Emotion is the foundation for our cognition. And, and I found this fascinating as a guy who's always thought himself logical, recognizing that, you know, that, that heart base that emotional base is really the foundation for all of our cognition. So it's really, so I, I really emotion, right? That's driving the thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's that decision making process is is based on on how we feel, and and you know, as I sort of progressed in my career, I eventually started my own business, and I started to recognize that my employees, my team the way they performed was directly correlated to how they felt about us as an organization, how they felt about our mission, about our purpose. And so the more I could tap into and the more I could create that emotional connection with my team from an organizational standpoint, the more successful we would become. And then of course, you know, flash forward to October of 2015, and, you know, Colleen woke up at my place that morning and she had to teach yoga at 6 a.m. 
And so alarm went off at five o'clock. Yes, yes, this was my girlfriend. Uh, alarm went off at five o'clock and uh, she got up, got ready, got dressed. I kind of fumbled around and she came over to my side of the bed, gave me a kiss goodbye and uh, I gave her a kiss and said, have fun at yoga. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. And then, you know, I woke up at a little after seven and got up, made breakfast, shot her a text. Hey, how was yoga? No response, a little bit odd, but eh, not totally out of character. She was often getting caught up in these long drawn out conversations with students after class, you know, that connection piece. And uh, so I went on my morning and, you know, 9.30, another text, the phone call, nothing, no response. 10 o'clock, no response. 11 o'clock meeting, still no response. Now I'm starting to get that, you know, that feeling in my gut, like something just isn't right. And, you know, those stories we start telling ourselves, it started out with, you know, at probably nine o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking, did I do something to make her angry? Like, was I a jerk or, you know, something's just not feeling right. And then of course, as the morning goes on, it progresses into this, like, holy crap, I, I hope everything's okay. And, uh, you know, I was walking into the restaurant where I was having lunch with some clients. And as I walked into the restaurant and the host was about to seat us, my phone rang and I looked at it and it was blocked number. And so I answered it and the, the voice on the other end of the line. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And said, uh, this is Constable so-and-so. And my heart just sank. And I said into the phone, I said, is she okay? And uh, he said, where are you? We're coming to you. And I practically screamed into the phone is she okay? And he said, look, we're at your house. Where are you? We're coming to you. So I told him where I was. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I turned and I walked out of the restaurant. I don't even think I said two words to my guests. Mm -hmm. And I stood at the, the curb and I, I waited for, you know, what felt like an eternity, but it was probably only five or six minutes. My house mm -hmm. wasn't far away. And uh, this plain um, unmarked police car pulls up across the street and these plain clothes cops get out and you know, badge around the neck and what movies would leave, lead me to believe was a Glock on his hip. And, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he walks over and I'm just, I'm standing there in disbelief, like what is going on? And he meets me halfway across the road. And after identifying who I was, he said those three words that would ultimately change my life. He just, he looked me square in the eye and he said, Colleen is dead shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life and you know it, it was in that moment that i realized you know again coming back to that what i'd studied for the last 20 years in the context of sales and leadership mm -hmm. we make decisions based on emotion this was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion so it just kind of reinforced the importance, again, not only from a, a sales and leadership standpoint, not only from a business standpoint, but from a human standpoint, how important this is. We make decisions based on emotion. If we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a purposeful and fully awakened existence. Mm -hmm. And you see oftentimes people who, who do unfortunately make those really poor, bad choices that are that cannot be undone, um, you know, it can be prevented. So if we only had, uh, you know, the, the awareness to help people who are in that situation, um, you know, the world would be a very different place. And I, I, I acknowledge and I commend you for the work that you are doing and are continuing to do to help educate and to bring that awareness to the world so that you can avoid uh, situations like this that are, that are horrific. I mean, they shouldn't happen. And the reality is, is that they do and they're painful and they have a lasting effect for many people that are connected, uh, you know, to, to that situation on, on all sides. Um, you know, and I, I would love to sort of delve into more um, of, you know, the emotional consequences for you and what that looked like and how you were able to process that and hearing that news i mean devastating news obviously that came out of nowhere as a surprise um and so i'd love to delve into that but we're going to take a break and then we'll come right back and then you know share more of that and i think that your story mike is so inspirational for so many people listening right now who may be in that situation and don't know how to process you know what they're going through so you know this is this is a great conversation to be had and we will continue Continue here on Saga 960 after this break. You're listening to The Mindset Mentor. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca. Welcome back to the Mindset Mentor. 
today. My special guest is Mike Cameron. Mike is a speaker. He's a writer, author of Becoming a Better Man, uh, which we're going to delve into, you know, get into the heart of his book and some of his programs that he has created to really help people, and particularly men, in particular men, to reconnect with their emotions. So it's about the art of emotional connection, which is so, so, so important. Important. And, you know, so many people go through life uh, suppressing their emotions. And I got to tell you, I was one of those people. I've suppressed emotion for decades. I had a belief in my mind that, um, you know, crying was a weakness and I refused to be vulnerable. Even though I was crying and dying on the inside, I wouldn't show it or I tried absolutely not to show it. Um, and that is, a, a, and I'll tell you from firsthand experience, a really crappy place to live and to be. You cannot live your best life um, by suppressing those emotions. So we're going to jump back into the conversation with Mike Cameron, who has been, you know, vulnerable and shared with us uh, deep trauma. He, his girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend. We, we, we talked about that before we took the break. And if you're just tuning in, you want to listen to this powerful story of, you know, being able to, you know, rise above such a traumatic experience and be able to take that knowledge and gift and share that to the world to help others also learn how to cope and deal with their emotions. So Mike, it's a pleasure to have you here and I'm so happy to continue the conversation. You know, you went through through uh, such adverse uh, circumstances with, with hearing that news. So before we took a break, you told us that the, um, you know, the, the constables had come personally to deliver the news. So I want to know for you, how you process that emotion, not only in that moment, but moving forward. Absolutely. Well, in that, in that moment, you, you know, I, I want as I was writing about it, you know, I wanted to come up with something, you know, like I, I had felt like I'd been hit by a freight train or, you know, something like that. But the reality was I went numb. I was in disbelief. I was in denial. And, and the mantra, you know, they they escorted me into the back of the police car after they, they broke the news. And I still didn't really know what had happened. All I knew was that she was gone at that point. And, you know, the mantra in my head at that point was, this can't be real. This can't be real. This can't be real. This does not happen in real life. And, and certainly this doesn't happen to me. My middle-aged white privileged butt sitting in the suburb of Sherwood Park out like this doesn't... No, 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 no. So it, it was... The immediate reaction was denial. Absolutely. And I was fortunate in that I had a, a friend of mine from Montreal so halfway across the country or all the way across the country, who sent me uh, a link the next day to Ram Dass's letter to Rachel. And if you or your listeners aren't familiar, so Ram Dass was an American spiritual leader from the 70s. Um, this letter to Rachel, Rachel was a young girl who had been murdered and Ram Dass wrote this letter to her parents. And my friend Eric shared this with me. And, and I've got to tell you, I've probably read that letter 250 times or more since that day. And that letter absolutely changed my life. There were, there were three main components of that. And the first was Ramdas said, 
Is anyone strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And in that moment, I knew that I had to remain conscious. I had to remain awake through this pain, through this heartache. And the second piece he talked about was, our rational minds will never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And again, I can't tell you how many times I said, why, 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 why her, why now, why, why, why? And they're just, as you can imagine, I mean, there is no rational answer. So I had to move out of my head and into my heart and trust the process. And the last thing he talked about was he said, now is the time to let your grief find expression. No false strength for your pain is Rachel's legacy to you. And to me, that was maybe the most important piece is now is the time to let your grief find expression. No false strength. I had so many, I had so many friends that surround me and you know they'd hug me and hold me and they'd tell me to be strong and while i love them for their intention it just it it makes me sad that our western culture's version of being strong is to just power through avoid suppress bury Mm. be strong mike be strong because i tell you what i i didn't want to be strong i wanted to curl up into a little ball and cry like a baby and, and so you should. I mean, that it obviously is such a traumatic experience. Uh, and, and again, to come out of nowhere, that shock um, and having to deal with that and then losing somebody who you love is not there, you know, beside you while you're going through the toughest moment, you know, in your life. You know, and I don't want to assume that, but potentially that experience would be. Um, and so it's 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 uh, so key that we start to learn to to process those emotions. And I, I think there's a natural component to denial, you know, and yes. shock, more shock, really, like in that in that moment, hearing news like that. Um, but there has to come a point where you come out of that shock and that you're able to deal with those emotions because you know when 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 you're suppressing and repressing emotions. I mean, it's going to cause all kinds of emotional turmoil, physical yeah. turmoil as well. So what is the process like um, on, on, on the steps to, to overcome something like that? I think somebody listening right now that maybe is experiencing a challenge, you know, that not necessarily is, you know, obviously losing a loved one. People don't experience that through a murder all the time, right? But we do certainly, you know, lose someone through, through loss of life, through death, uh, the natural process, or, you know, through, through, uh, you know, an accident or what have you. But there's also the other side of, you know, uh, emotional impact that's devastating, just even COVID itself. You know, we're, yeah. we're in a pandemic that so many people are struggling. Like, how do you process emotion? Help us, Mike. Well, we I, yeah, I think, I think you, you've brought up a few good points. And a couple of things that I want to point out is, is the language we use is important because you asked about how do we overcome? So first off, we don't overcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we don't, this isn't a thing we beat. It's not a thing we conquer. And again, yeah. as men, yeah. that's where we tend to go. I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to conquer this. Yeah. This thing ain't going to get me down. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's not about conquering. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing you, you touched on, because I get this all the time too, is this comparison of grief. 
because I will always have people come up to me and say, you know, my thing, I, I know my thing isn't nearly as bad as your thing, mm -hmm. but the reality is we all struggle. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing is... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, all of our struggles are different, but the beautiful thing is we don't have to struggle alone. And I think that's a critical piece. So for me, it was first about just accepting that that feeling was there and allowing that to come up and allowing that to manifest and not trying to conquer that feeling and not trying to conquer that pain and grief. So but rather, actually, than, uh, rather than conquer or, or overcome and just sort of letting it be, would you say that it's more, more a process of surrender, surrendering to the moment? Yes. Yes, yeah, surrender is a great word. Surrender is a great word because, yeah, the more we fight it, I mean, somebody had said to me some t at some point that suffering equals pain times resistance. So the more we resist, the longer suffering Ooh, endures. Yes. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? Like suffering equals pain times resistance. So the more we fight it, in fact, the the worse it gets and the longer it sticks around. So the more we can move with it. And, you know, I use the analogy of, of swimming upstream. So imagine you're, you're caught in a, a river and you're trying to get to the shore. Well, if we swim upstream trying to get there, I mean, eventually we're going to run out of gas and we're going to lose energy and we're going to drown. Whereas if we turn around and we just flow downstream and let the current take us and slowly make our way over to the side, that's a much more manageable way to do things. Mm -hmm. I think so, so for, many people, uh, sorry, get, get locked in that pattern. It's just habitual. And, you know, it's just a process that becomes natural and they don't, they're not even aware of it, right? So I think it's important to become aware of how we, you know, handle information, process information and deal with our emotions or lack, the lack of dealing with emotions is important to know that that's our behavior. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, identifying our default patterns is a, is a huge piece. I mean, you talk about mindset, right? So it is, what is our default mindset? 
And is that something that's serving us well? And if it's not, how do we change that? So for me, that big piece in Ramdas's letter is, is anyone strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? And flipping that into, look, Mike, this is horrible. This is not anything you would wish upon your worst enemy, but this is a feeling, this is an opportunity that very few are afforded. Again, it's not an opportunity I would wish upon my worst enemy, but it's, a, it's something I've been given. Like, as you, you said, not very many people have the quote-unquote opportunity to feel as deeply as I was feeling. So when I flip that around to look at, like, look at this opportunity to feel deeply. It's a horrible feeling. But what happens when we look at this as an opportunity and we start to observe it, we step back and get curious? What does this pain feel like? Where do I feel that? What else does this bring up? What's happening in there? What's going on in my heart right now? What can I do with this? And starting to get curious about even the most horrific feelings was such a powerful, powerful mind shift for me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so intense. And, and thank you for that. So, you know, I think that, you know, it is really uh, important right, to surrender that moment to find and to feel that emotion, because underneath that emotion, you know, there's there's another bunch of layers and the trapped emotions that that lie underneath that. Right. And I think that sometimes those or maybe most of the time or all the time, those emotions manifest as physical pain, um, you know, somewhere in, in the body. So for you, did you find, you know, any correlation to that could you physically feel you know the pain in your body oh there's no question but i but i do think that me moving through the emotional pain helped alleviate some of that potential physical pain mm -hmm. um because yeah as you say i mean if if we bury and avoid and suppress i mean it's coming out one way or the other and usually so if we in a in an unhealthy way, right? When you suppress it, when you least want it to come out, it you know unleashes itself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, case in point, the man that killed her. Um, clearly, he tried to deny it and bury it, but it came out in a rage, and that's problematic. Or you know, as you said, I mean, oftentimes this will come out in physical manifestations. We'll get sick. We'll get ill. We'll maybe not be able to sleep. You know, insomnia is a big one that, that I see for sure with the people that I work with is, is they run into sleeping trouble because they've got all this stuff that they, you know, they're actively avoiding all day. And then when we lie down at night and, and our defenses are down, so to speak, then it starts to come up and it means, well, we can't sleep. Mm -hmm. We don't have any peace. Well, you know, I think, uh, as you say, it's like, the, you know, our bodies are really good at helping us to trying to get us to process those emotions, whether it is through that physical pain or the insomnia or, you know, even through dreams, right? We, we hold trauma, uh, you know, it's stored in the body, you know, kind of like a downward spiral um, and it's going to unwind itself. It needs to come back out. Um, sometimes it does come out through through dreams. It's trying to help you process um, and it, it's important to to embrace it. Um, you know, I love what you say 
in terms of it, it this is an opportunity. Um, you know, it's because I, I know 100% without a doubt that our biggest challenges in life, um, you know, are our biggest rewards or biggest blessings. And there's something yes. to be learned, right? And going through through such uh, uh, an intense and heavy challenge for you, a horrific experience, um, you know, I always think that the bigger the challenge, the bigger purpose you have, and that your purpose is, you know, so, so much greater than who you are, and you are meant to share that to educate and to help. And so, you know, again, I, I want to thank you for, for opening up and sharing, you know, such a, a, a personal and deeply emotional story, um, you know, an experience that you went through. And because so many people can learn through that challenge, again, no matter what that challenge is. And I love your story about Ram Dass's letter. Um, is it a letter to Rachel? Was it called? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant because, you know, sometimes, as you say, so many people will try to be comforting and they don't necessarily have the best words for you in that moment. Um, but a letter that says it so beautifully and poetically and 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 really in a, in a life changing way can resonate deeply. So and for anyone out there who maybe doesn't know the right words to say and has somebody going through a challenge, you know, take take a look at a, at a letter, the Ram Dass letter, letter to Rachel or, you know, a card. It's it's I always think it's so fascinating where it could be one phrase that changes the trajectory of your life. You don't know what your words hold, the power that your words hold sometimes to someone else. And if we could all be a little more conscious, a little kinder to each other, we can prevent some of those situations like this gentleman who obviously made some really bad choices um, that he felt, you know, he probably had no choice right for him. So right. it's, it's interesting because so many people hold on and to those emotions and it just is is such a negative experience and it continues to manifest in a bad way and the and the and the real sad thing is that um you know oftentimes we we pick up that learned behavior from others so we mimic behavior whether that's from a family member or anybody around us and when when does the cycle stop you know if we don't do something about it it's going to continue so you know i'd love to talk a little bit about that cycle and how we can actually you know unwind and unravel uh the pain of of suppressing those emotions we're going to take a break here on the mindset mentor and we will be back with mike cameron who has has been so gracious in sharing and being vulnerable um you know about his, his personal experience of um you know his girlfriend, Colleen, being murdered by her ex-boyfriend. And he, he, Mike now is on a mission to help people, you know, start to learn how to process their emotions, really the art of, um, you know, emotional connection. We're going to talk about that. He has some great programs. He's, a, a, you know, a TEDx speaker and also an author, author of Becoming a Better Man. So we're going to talk about that when we come back after this break. Stay with us. Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
And welcome back to The Mindset Mentor. I'm Tanya Kolar. And today, my special guest on the show is the fabulous Mike Cameron. Mike is a speaker, author. He is a writer. He is uh, an advocate for, for gender-based violence. Um, and, you know, we had such a great conversation before we took a break uh, and just to sort of, uh, you know, lead into this to, to, to the listeners who are just tuning in. Mike Cameron uh, is on a mission to, to, to help people, particularly men, to reconnect with their emotions. Uh, Mike went through a horrific experience where his girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend. And of course, you know, people who who kill other people, um, you know, there's some emotional trauma that's buried deep within that would, you know, instigate that type of, of uh, you know, behavior or any kind of violence. Um, you know, we see a lot of violence against women and it's, it's you know, hurt people, hurt people hurt others and so you know we really need to start seeing what we can do so so mike cameron it's a pleasure to have you here and to continue the conversation i love what you're doing and the mission that you have um i know you've got your your book becoming a better man that i'd love to dive into as well as your programs and some of the organizations that you have founded as well as co-founding so let's let's start with um you know your your book becoming a better man and what really um you know is at the heart of that for you yeah well it, it's interesting because that was quite the process in in coming together uh, originally it started as a business book you know I, I i told you that you know i've been talking about this emotional intelligence in sales and leadership for 20 plus years and i on most of my keynotes i would often end with issuing what i would call a 30-day challenge and so i thought you know you know what i should do and this was, I don't know, probably eight years ago, I thought I should come up with a series of maybe, you know, 30 videos, 90 seconds long each that I could have available online for those that attended um, anything where I presented. And so I started scripting those out and what those might look like. And of course, you know, I had a thousand to 2000 words per video. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is starting to look like a book. And so, you know, I started putting it together. I think my original working title was Actionable Insights, 30 Days to a Better You. And, you know, then Colleen and I took a trip to uh, Penticton where I was competing in an Ironman triathlon. And my 65-year-old Aunt Sharon happened to live in Penticton. So she hosted us when, when we went there and I had finished the race we ended up going back to Sharon's place for dinner the next day. And Sharon starts telling us this story about how she had been inspired by me coming out to do my Ironman. And she decided earlier that year, she wanted to get a little bit more fit, get into a little bit of shape. And again, you know, she's a 65 year old woman, not overly active, maybe even a little overweight, but she said, you know, I decided they had this 5k fun run leading up to the big event. And I decided I was going to do that. She goes, I knew full well, I was going to be dead last doing it, but I thought, what the heck I want to do this. So she tells us this story, you know, Saturday morning comes and I line up way at the back of the pack because the last thing I want is all these kids to be running past me. So <laughs> I lined up way at the back. Mm -hmm. She says the gun went and off we go. I'm running away. And she says, you know, I got within about a kilometer of the finish line 
And she says, all of a sudden, this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And of course, when she says kid, she's talking about one of the race organizers. So he's probably, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, I looked over at him. I said, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? And he says, well, yeah, I'm afraid so. He says, but you're doing fantastic. And he starts cheering her on and rides with her. Yep. So they get within like 100 meters of the finish line. And he says, OK, I'm going to ride ahead and let them know that you're still out on course. And she looks up and she can see that she is so far last that they've already started packing up the PA system. They've already started tearing down the finish line. So when he rides ahead, they set everything back up to announce her across. And I thought, oh, how cool is that? So she finishes telling us this story. She gets up and, and goes into the kitchen to clear the, clear the table. And, and Colleen just looks at me and she goes, you know what, Mike? She goes, now that's badass. <laughs> And I'm like, yep. Mm -hmm. How many of us would have the courage to compete in an event that we knew full well we were going to finish dead last and publicly dead last? Like you talked about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That's vulnerability. And to be able to actually finish, you know? And so yes. she could have quit at any point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, we got talking about what does it really mean to be a badass? Because that was one of the things she used to always tease me about how badass I was. And, you know, as a guy that's always been more geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid, I always took that to heart. And so our, our entire, you know, it was an 11 hour drive home. We talked about what does it really mean to be a badass? And especially in the context of masculinity and being a man. And we were listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast and he had Brene Brown on. And at one point he asked Brene, he said, what do you think of the over-feminization of boys in our school system? And I kind of went, huh? She handled it brilliantly. She said, you know, Tim, she goes, I don't think that masculine and feminine are mutually exclusive. She said, in fact, and this is what brought it all together for me. She said, in fact, I believe that that right combination of tough and tender is the exact equation for badassery. And I just went, oh, boom, there it <laughs> Perfect is. Perfect timing, yes. Like, that's it. Mm. And of course, you know, little did I know how consequential that would become in my life. So in that moment, the book shifted from that 30 days to a better you to redefining badass. So that was the original working title. And then, of course, there's, there's a, some other badass books out there that that have done well. So I just couldn't use that as a title. Um, and then after Colleen was killed, you know, that just reinforced what the message of the book had to be. And I took, it's essentially a, a memoir. It was, you know, some of the events of my life, I've been through sort of three major experiences in my life. And so I recap those and I just talk about the lessons learned along the way. And again, it's not super prescriptive. It's this is my experience and this is what I've learned and, and hopefully it can help you. But yeah, the overarching message is that we need to give the men in our life permission to feel. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Um, you know, and, 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 and even, you know, uh, the men themselves have to give themselves permission yes. to feel, right? Um, you know, you got to take ownership of that. You know, you have control. Every moment is a choice and we can choose a different way, even though we're used to a habitual pattern, right, of suppressing or repressing emotion or, or what have you. Um, so I know that some of your programs and your organization, you have an organization uh, connected, uh, Connected Men, I believe it's called. 
difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a, a little bit about that because you're providing a space, a safe space for people to, or men to be able to, to express their emotions. So what does that look like and what is the process and, and how do you start to help men uh, learn and, and, and be open and authentic with their emotion? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I, I started an organization called Connected Men and the idea was really to create a space for men to literally practice feeling. You know, I think we understand, especially as men, we understand if we want to get physically fit, we go to the gym, we lift weights a couple of times a week. Yet, when it comes to our emotional fitness, what do we do? And the answer for most of us is absolutely nothing. Yep. So I wanted to create a gym for emotional fitness. So creating a space where men can come together without judgment and just share. And like I said, literally practice being vulnerable, literally practice feeling. It's about getting out of our head and into our heart. So it's based on the framework that I use and I use the acronym SOAR. Slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect with that emotional self. So from a practical standpoint, how do we do that? In our meetings, we will literally start with a five to 10 minute meditation. So we start with a slowdown. We just practice that pause. Mm, we give the guys a moment to just ground themselves and get present and get right here, right now, let go of all the outside world let go of all the garbage that's been floating around in your head and let's just take five minutes and get right here right now and then we open up and we go around the room and we do a 60 second check-in and what we typically do is we'll ask them to start with your physical so what are you feeling physically i got a bit of a kink in my back right now jaws a little tight and then we'll have them move it into the emotional I'm excited. I'm hopeful. I'm feeling stoked. I'm having a conversation on the radio. This is fantastic. I'm excited. And then we'll move it into, usually we'll have a theme that we talk about. So in fact, actually last night we talked about this, you know, not all men hashtag and, and the importance of men stepping up when it comes to violence against women. You know, we've seen so many femicides recently across the globe that it just reinforced the need for men in particular to speak up and be part of the solution. So we, we actually had that as our theme last night and we went around the room and again, it's a safe space. So, so if guys are offended by this or feel that they're being attacked by feminists because it's not all men, some men are, you know, it's only some bad apples. It's not all men. Um, you know, they can voice that concern. You know, I'm going to challenge that because that's not my belief. But we have it in a, a respectful place because the problem I think we run into today is with all these polarized viewpoints, nobody is willing to listen to the other. And so when anger meets anger, all we get is explosion. When anger meets empathy, we gain understanding and you know i can't move the needle 
on a on a on a man that thinks that it's and again this is an extreme so not likely the case but but for a man that thinks it's okay to take the life of a woman because she left him mm-hmm. i mean i can't change that attitude unless i listen to that attitude unless i understand that attitude so you know tell me why do you think it's okay that you take her life if she won't be with you again i this is an extreme example and and not likely a conversation you're going to have but you know um so even you know i yell at my wife when she gets on my nerves cuz i have to put her in in her place okay so explain to me why you think that's okay don't you believe that's disrespectful and and legitimately allow that opinion that viewpoint to come out because until i understand that viewpoint i'm not going to cuz you know cuz cuz i can just tell him that's wrong that's wrong you shouldn't do that that's disrespectful that's terrible mm-hmm. well is that individual ever going to listen oh, not yeah, a chance they're going to tune you out absolutely you know and it's interesting that you say that because obviously uh you know gender based violence isn't just physical violence right is that that control right. you know as you said you know she won't listen to me i have to make her see my my side of things i have to educate her or whatever it is right that's still p- a part of that gender based violence and having conversations um you know like you're having with your with your group um is is such a beautiful thing so people can feel heard oftentimes violence mm-hmm. comes from people feeling like you know nobody's on their side nobody's listening nobody cares and if people know that they have an outlet right. um they can let those emotions out i think again it's it's so helpful on so many levels you know everything that we do all of our actions are intertwined with everything on the planet and in the world so it is important that we have these conversations and unfortunately we are out of time i would love to continue the conversation with you mike but we are out of time so i want to say thank you so much for being here and for you know helping others also to become a better man a better woman a better person you know we can all absolutely live our best life and you know we just got to make those choices so thank you so much uh, for being here with me today my pleasure thanks for having me all right everyone so that is a wrap for the mindset mentor so remember that your mindset is like a muscle that needs to be strengthened and conditioned so this is your mindset workout in the meantime make sure that you have you know a phenomenal day and i'm going to check back with you next week and continue working out your mindset let's cultivate a life we love no radio no problem stream us live on saga960am.ca as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 